Welcome to Catholic Stuff You Should Know, a J10 initiative. Hey, welcome to the podcast. Father John, Joe, Catholic Stuff You Should Know. I've John never... told everybody at Mass tonight about how uh, how you shouldn't pray to get to heaven, right? Isn't that what you just Yeah, said? there was some confusion about my homily, and uh, two of the college girls come up and they say, um, yeah, we, we didn't know what you were saying. And I was like, is that different than usual? And they said, yeah. I said, what did you think I was saying? And they're like, basically, we felt like you were telling us not to pray. And I was like, "All right, yeah, that was probably not what I was intending to say. So it made me think, I don't know what we're conveying. Yeah, who knows what people are getting from this. Yeah, we won't get into it, though. It's very complex. Basically, I read one line of Balthazar, but I'm not smart enough to try and bring it into a pastoral realm, and so I sound completely ridiculous. So it is pretty much exactly like the podcast. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, exactly. Great, Great. There you go. What do you think of this pumpkin ale as we sit and talk? I do think it's pretty good. You look like you were going to say something about it before I interrupted you. Well, I'm not a fan of pumpkin ales usually, but this we're drinking Shipyard uh, Pumpkin Head. It's made in Maine, it looks like. Um, looks like we can get a refund for the bottle in Vermont. We should say that this is in the morning, or this is the evening, so it's an appropriate time to drink an alcohol. Oh, it's a beverage. fitting time, and I just finished Mass. So mm-hmm. That's right. That's right. No, uh, no bourbon tonight, though. We're just pumpkin head. Very nice. So, Johnny, have you been watching the debates? I have. I have. What do you think? Well, are we doing this? I don't know. I was just curious. I, uh, well, I, let's just say, <laughs> well, well, the reason I'm stuttering is not because I don't want to talk about politics. Um, it's because I actually haven't watched that much of the debate. And I was oh, really? like, am I going to fake this or am I just going to say, basically, I watched the first one and uh, it looked like uh, our president got an, uh, basically annihilated. And then I've just been kind of reading the news from that point forward. Yeah. I don't really want to talk about the debates, but I do want to talk about America. Oh, okay. Thank you. Because I was thinking in the spirit of this country, um, you know, we're all about freedom in America. And one of the things that... Can, uh, can you pause for one second? Yeah, sure. Paul Ryan gives the best Catholic responses I've ever heard. Really? We can say that on this podcast. He is a frat brother with Chris Watts, our good friend. Who's, he's not my good Chris friend. And Chris and Carrie Watts. Oh, little Carrie girls. Watts. Is yeah. Husband. Oh, there we go. No, nice work. But um, so he's an ex uh, frat boy with. Uh, really. But I'm telling you, everything I read from him, I'm like, this guy knows what the Catholic Church is saying, unlike other. Well, give me an example. Well, his take on abortion. Now, that I don't want to get into the whole thing here, but um, the way he describes um, all these different approaches to immigration, these different things, it's just like I'm just like, thank you. We have someone who knows Catholic, who thinks from principles, and I'm sure that's what we're going to talk about today because we're talking about no, what, freedom. Not really. Okay. Let's I just, just want to talk about freedom. Well, the reason I told you that was because I had a dream that Paul Ryan and I were hanging out and we were traveling in Ireland together. It was crazy. Just watching rugby matches. That nice. That's my dream last Wait, night. Did you guys get along? Yeah, it was great. You didn't get in like a bar fight or anything? No, he was super cool and we had a good time. And then I woke up. There you go. The Paul Ryan of Father John's dreams is a nice guy. Yes. Great guy. There you go. So that's all I wanted to say about Paul Ryan. But uh, there you now go. people are going to be like psychologists are like, what is going on? <laughs> They're just taking mad notes. That's right. To the topic. To the topic. So freedom. So I was thinking about, you know, America's all about freedom. That's kind of like one of the main things we talk about, Declaration of Independence. Yes. Life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. Yes. Um, but the idea that freedom and law, you know, like the whole idea that we want to be free in America yes. and laws always kind of impinge on our freedom is kind of very fundamentally different than how Catholics think about freedom. Uh, Wouldn't you say? Yes, I would. Why would you say that? Well, I think that uh, the understanding of freedom as license, freedom as I can do whatever the hell I want, uh-huh. is very different. Now, I don't think it's just Catholic, though. I think that's Aristotle. That's, yeah, you know, that's true. 
We've uh, kind of inherited that. We've inherited that. That's kind of the Greek tradition understanding of what freedom is. Okay, so, so how, how would you uh, how would you describe the two different kinds of freedom? I guess. Well, I think that um, one is rooted in antiquity and then is perfected. You know, so like the Greek uh, philosophical tradition is perfected when it comes into union with Christian revelation, and we see that in St. Thomas Aquinas, kind of the high point. Wait, what did you say? Yeah, you're not paying attention. You're I drinking, was paying attention. I just didn't understand. Basically, the Greek slash Christian understanding of freedom mm-hmm. is radically different than the modern understanding, which is kind of a combination of, I think, of Nietzsche and uh, definitely utilitarianism mm. and um, positivism. These different isms I'm just throwing out to impress people. Yeah, um, you're really smart. Gosh. But no, but I, I, but basically, what it says is freedom is either completely untethered which we call license, Mm -hmm. which means freedom from restraint. Yes. Or freedom for the good. Uh Aha. So we have two things, freedom from restraint, which is the kind of the worldly. So thing. you just asked me that question because you wanted me to say that. I could have just. You no, just I just. Me, I, put you know, I'm trying to get you involved in this. Oh, that's man. all. I feel like I'm with Goebel right now. So freedom from Go- restraint. If which Goebel is like, was on this podcast, you'd be like, Ugh. actually, Goebel. I'm I'm kind of subbing for Goebel because he couldn't make it up here tonight. So that's why you're hearing me two weeks and two or three weeks in a row, I guess. But he right. wanted us to play a uh, Gone Till November in the beginning of the podcast Gone by Wycliffe. Yeah, <laughs> he's classic. Um, that's old school. Yeah, the uh, I think that's the key: freedom from versus freedom for. Yeah, that's what I meant by positivism, relativism. Blah, 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 blah. That's right. All that, all those isms. Right. So we have freedom from restraint, which is I think I would say Rousseau is the one I think about. He was the one who kind of uh, talked about how when we talk about law and the source of law and the origins of law, right? Law was always restricting freedoms. So total freedom in Rousseau's mind was freedom from restraint completely. So. You know, in our basic human condition, we're free to do whatever we want. Right. You know, we're, I'm free to rob you, to burn your home. I'm free for all these things. Right. But law takes those freedoms away, but it also takes them away from other people. So if we had no law, Rousseau would say, you know, we should all be standing outside of our houses with a shotgun because people are free to rob our houses right. and stuff. Right. So we have to make sure they don't do that. So what law does, it keeps us from robbing other people's houses but it also protects us because it keeps other people from robbing our houses. So we give up some freedoms, but then we get other freedoms like you right. know, security and stuff right. like that. But, but it's all like, but it's all made up. It's all artificial. Yeah, it's all just about freedom from doing stuff. Right. You know, uh, so I'm either, you know, in Rousseau's mind, the person who's radically free is the one who has, who can make any decision about whatever thing he wants. Right. Anything. So that's one idea of freedom. That's kind of how we still think about it, you know. Laws always kind of take away our freedom, which actually gets into... How we think about the moral law, how we think about Catholics, you know, you know, the uh, a woman's right, you know, to Just an abortion. Into the <laughs> I did. I, I tried to turn. It's that pumpkin head. That's ale. right. Um, but it affects everything because you are, you know, people will always experience law as, oh, this is this is making me less free. You right. know, so if they hear the churches, you know, you could look at a difficult church teaching like uh, contraception or something. Right, right. And this is taking away my freedom to live as I want. Right. Um, so that's one idea of freedom, but then the church has this whole other idea of freedom. When you kind of touched on it, like freedom, uh, you could call it freedom for excellence, freedom, right. uh, to do the good. Uh, that's one definition of freedom that freedom is, yes, you have Go a ahead. question. Well, yeah, but finish your thought. Okay. Freedom I is, my hand up to freedom you. is the ability to do the good, right? A freedom for excellence, the ability to do something well. That's what, and that's tied into something else, but go ahead. Well, I want to take us on a little tangent, but okay, here is we this go. an okay time to do that? Yeah, sure, whatever. I think the language of rights in the political realm right now mm. is being used as a way of justifying this kind of freedom from. It's my rights. How dare I 
as a Catholic priest, condemn women on their reproductive rights. That's what I hear up here in Boulder all the time. Ah. How dare I tell these people who want homosexual marriage that they don't have the right to marry? It's about freedom from any kind of law whatsoever. Right, you're, so you're, recreate... you're, you're impinging upon their freedom. And let me tell you why that pisses me off. Go because ahead. Because rights... We, we don't like to say that word, though, John. What do we say instead of that? We have to. We can't offend our Australian listeners. Oh, sorry, yeah. <laughs> uh, we have one Australian listener. Yeah, right. right let me ahead. tell you why I'm extremely angry <laughs> at the language of rights being used against Christians and making us like bigots. Now, I live in Boulder, so obviously this is this is Yeah, this, this, is, this isn't hitting a nerve right I now. walk across the campus every day, and I have somebody come up to me and, you know, say these things. And I'm just the, I'm just the, the devil, right? I am just Satan. How right. dare I? You're always telling people what they can and can't do. Exactly. And what I hate about it is that they, the modern world, derived all of this language of rights from where? From Christianity. And Balthazar takes that image from the... um, Did it? Yes. It takes that language from the gospel and it says that the modern secular world, secular humanism has stripped the church of everything that she desires to. He uses that image of the man on pilgrimage up who gets beaten and left for dead. Mm-hmm. That's how he describes the church in the modern world. It's stripped of everything. All of the language of, of uh, rights and all of this stuff about is taken now from Christianity, from the, from the medieval synthesis of the Greek and the Jewish world, and then it's used now against the church and against us. I don't know if us. we had a language of rights. Oh, we definitely did. But Can this is not the example? topic. This is not the topic, though. <laughs> I'm, I'm nervous now because we have gone way down the route. I know. We're on like a whole other track now. No, but uh, well, the interesting because the etymology of right. What's the word in Latin for right? Is it just use? Usa. Usa. Uh, in English, we say right because it's right that I have something. It's it's right that this is to me. Like it's just. Right. Which is the Latin is use for justice. Right. right. Um, so the idea of right is means it, it refers to what is due to me. Right. Justice about is justice is about rendering what's due to the other. Um, so a right is something that is. Uh, I deserve. That's just that I have, you know? Right. Um, but yeah, that is kind of a tangent. It's interesting, though. And my point is that, and I think what you and I are now debating on or attempted to debate on is whether it's a it's a false understanding of Christian, what, what the modern world understands as rights, mm. which I would agree it's different, but it was originally appropriated from a Christian understanding of, justice. of the dignity of the person, mm. of justice, that which is ought, uh, which is due to the person, regardless of, because I'm thinking Dr. Terry Wright's listening to this right now and he's critiquing the hell out of this podcast. <laughs> he actually really likes us. I know, but this is kind of sloppy tonight. Um, this is pumpkin ale, man. You're burping. I'm, you know, <laughs> throwing out isms left and right. The, um, But the basic thing is that... Like, because we stand for freedom as tethered to the good, we are the enemy. Mm -hmm. And the language of rights, I will still hold to this, is now being used to assault on Christians uh, for our bigot kind of uh, conceptions. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree with that. And I think this is why people, like you said, can be so critical of Christianity, and especially of the church, because we're not just Christianity. We we claim to have some sort of moral authority. Right. And so we're we're telling people what is you know what is good to do, what's not good to do, what's going to make them free, what they're not free to do, and uh, people don't like that because we're taking away people's freedom. Right. So supposedly, supposedly, exactly. And so this other idea of freedom, which I think is much more attractive and much more, I think it'll anybody who's never heard this distinction before, I think it'll make some things clear just right. about the Catholic moral teaching, and also just about the moral life and, and what life's about, what freedom is really about. You're you talking know? about freedom from, freedom for? Freedom from, freedom for. So we have freedom from restraint. That's kind of the worldly freedom. Right, Rousseau. And then we have the freedom for excellence. 
freedom for uh, to pursue the to do the good. Be so, ex- be excellent to one another. That's right. Bill and Ted, right? Isn't that what they said? Yes. The Socrates. Yeah, <laughs> I, I forget it was too. Um, but uh, so the church would say, or, Christ- or this tradition, Greek Christian tradition would say, that the person who is most free is not the one who has all the options, but the person who's most free is the virtuous man. Why would we say the virtuous man is the most free? Oh, you're getting all pedantic on me right now. Just you know. Okay, so I- I'll, I'll I'll take us off tangent. So you go ahead, <laughs> just give you a little chat. I know. I know. Why I keep going. Your little fireside chat. Okay, so the virtuous man's the most free. So we have this idea that um, this is very closely tied. I appreciate you trying to keep me in the conversation. Oh, sure, of course. This is very closely tied to our understanding of what we're made for, that every everything in existence has an end or a purpose, right? And that includes human beings. Human beings are created and we're ordered towards uh, fulfillment, our own fulfillment, our own happiness. And anybody, nobody will disagree with this, that every single person desires happiness right desires to be fulfilled and they can they can seek happiness and seek fulfillment in all sorts of variety of different ways even the person you know who hurts themselves it does so uh because they see some sort of good or freedom from uh, a suffering that they're going through you know yes um but we all desire happiness and so uh this is very tied to our nature so we're made to be fulfilled we're made and ultimately we are fulfilled in the good you know, so we pursue, we don't, we don't choose anything, uh, if we didn't think it would be good for us to have that, you know, even if the, for the person who's, I don't know, fornicating, they're, they're, they're doing that because they think this is going to be good for me. And since this is going to make me happy, apparent good, apparent, it's an apparent good. Yes. It's not exactly the good is, uh, something objective, right? Uh, but we perceive something as a good and that's why we pursue it. Right. Right. And so I know this is kind of a bigger train of thought than I thought it would be. Um, so the person who's free is the one who can choose, has the ability to choose their true good. Um, so let me use an example, I guess. So, okay, here's an example. So uh, say you had this great desire, John, to kill me. You were just like, I can't stand Joe. I really want to kill you, you know? And the law of thou shall not kill or the law, a civil law we have against murder would restrict you from doing that, right? Yes. Uh, it would keep you from killing me. And so that would be hard for you, right? Yes. Um, so you, in some sense, you're not free to kill me. Right. Um, so that would be taking away. That Quote, would be, unquote, free. Exactly. Yeah. That would be freedom from restraint. You're not free yes. to kill me. Yes. Um, but are you more free, period, by not having a desire to kill me? So, okay, so... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, if there's a law that says you can't kill me, you're going to experience that as difficult. You're going to experience it as hard. Um, you're like, man, I really want to kill Joe, but this law says I can't do it. I feel like, I feel like I'm not fulfilled. I feel like I'm not free. But for the virtuous man, the person who has total virtue, you have no desire to kill me. If you were completely virtuous, you would have no desire to kill me at all. And so the law wouldn't, wouldn't impinge upon your freedom. It would actually line up with your freedom. And because the more that you love me, uh, and the less of desire you have to kill me, the more the law is fulfilled. Like you don't need the law anymore. You're free from the law because your passions, your internal uh, desires, the movements of, of your soul are ordered towards, um, what the law is pointing towards as well. So you don't experience the law as a constraint upon you, but you experience it as a help to get you to where you want to go, which is, which is love. Does that make any sense? Yes, it does. Yes, it does. I'm thinking about which tangent to take us down. Okay. But Just I don't want to, I don't want to do that because we are limited on time. I have to go down to, I have to go drink beer with college students after drinking beer with you here. So, ah, um, okay. Well, so, 
So Go that's ahead. I. This is a very interesting topic, and it ties into a number of things. But I'm trying to be sensitive to like. I don't want to take us off track too far, but I, I have two different thoughts. Okay, give me one. Okay, so um, when you talk about the uh, the true human flourishing comes through uh, freedom for the good, essentially, mm-hmm. right? The virtuous man, the habitual disposition to do the good, the person right. who does it freely, joyfully, and what's the third? I forget. There's three characteristics of the virtuous man. Anyways, Father Brian knows that. Father Brian, Macedon, Mary, North Glen. Too bad he's not here. Too bad he's not. Thank God he's not here. Okay, no. so freedom, joy, and something else. Something else. And uh, but that presupposes the knowledge of the good. Mm, okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So when Christ tells us, when Paul tells us that God, that the love of God surpasses all knowledge, how ought I to love the ultimate good? If it, if that love and the act of that love surpasses all things, this is what I'm trying to do is elevate this from the natural level about virtue into the theological level about God. Hmm. I can't know God, uh, and I can't presuppose knowledge of God before loving God, which is what I ought to do as the virtuous person in the fullest sense of the term. So how do I do that? How do you what? How do I love God if the love of God surpasses all knowledge? This was a question posed to me recently by non-Catholic, of course, because they were quoting scripture. Hmm. What would you say to that? See, this is good pastoral training for your priesthood here in a in a year or so. Because you're saying, uh, so that's one predicament. There's uh, one little yeah, trail. You ready? Here's another one. Because what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to show you how Christ is a paradox. He is not just the virtuous man. Hmm. Here's another one. So, and this is about reconciling justice and mercy, which I actually thought about doing a podcast on this completely. But how is it that we can say as Christians we have to be merciful? when uh, mercy seems to just do away with justice. Right. Now, what I'm talking about here is the good in terms of God's self-disclosure, right? How do we... Uh, this is two examples where we run into these roadblocks on a natural level because Christ is this ultimate paradox. Basically, what I'm saying is that, yes, you need to have freedom for, but when you choose God, freedom for God, it's going to radically look different. Oh, You're yeah. going to hit into these... Seeming dead ends that are that make no sense. How can I love that which I do not know? I cannot know God. He's always more transcendent than what I'm actually thinking. And how can I be merciful when it seems to eradicate justice? Which is not the case. But I think we should just leave those for other podcasts. Yeah, let's leave those. What I'm I don't try- even know what you're talking about. The point that I'm trying to say here, and it's like I'm with Goebel again. The point that I'm trying to say is that freedom for all of a sudden becomes very paradoxical when it's baptized into the reality of Christ. Hmm. It far transcends our understanding of just the virtuous man. Jesus is not just oh, yeah. Jesus is not just the virtuous fulfilled man. But hmm. you come to these realizations and these conclusions, the paradox of the cross is what just kind of uh collapses these things. Well, I think it's resolved in love. Yes. And the reason I say that is because freedom isn't an end in itself. Like it's it was like freedom's not and, that, and that's kind of how we think in America. Yes. Like freedom if you take away freedom that's like the worst thing you could possibly do, right? But our understanding of freedom is, is skewed. But with the Catholic and the, the correct, I'd say, understanding of freedom is that freedom isn't an end in itself. It is a means to an end. And so I need to be free from things to a degree so that I can be free for what I'm, what I'm pursuing. But ultimately, so the person who gets married, you know, uh, my sister just got married last year, two years ago. When she got married. It was only two years ago? Maria, yeah, two summers ago. Man, I felt like it was like 10 years ago. Nope. You're a year and a half. Anyway, when she got married, she kind of gave up her freedom in some sense, you know? She was free to marry whoever she wanted, but now she's like, I'm not free to have intimate relationships with any man 
except this one man. Yep. Her, she gave up her freedom for the sake of love. And that's why the, that's the whole point of free, our freedom to choose is that it's all, it all is fulfilled. Freedom's always fulfilled in giving up your freedom for the sake of love. It's not meant just to be, to be free to do anything. If you, I mean, that, like there's no fulfillment in that. There's no joy and happiness in yeah. that. We're, we're always free to have our lives so that we can lay our lives down, choose to lay our lives down. I like that. Yeah, it's, it's the resolution of freedom and love. And I guess that's basically what I'm trying to say is like, mm. um, we're not Stoics, right? We're not just kind of free from everything. You know, they had this kind of moral code in Stoic Roman world and, uh, and they lived according to it. And it was kind of this passionless intellectualism. At least that's what it looked like on the surface. Uh, again, I'm thinking of Dr. Wright, our philosophy teacher, just being like shaking his head right now <laughs> as this is going through. But anyways, there's a butchering of this. But um, Yeah, we're not doing too good. But the, res- the resolution of all things in love. Mm-hmm. is the key in the Trinitarian love. Yeah. But freedom looks radically different when you look to Jesus Christ. Right? Obedience is where that love or that freedom becomes total, totally surrendered into the obedience of the Father. Obedience mm-hmm. unto death. That's what the cross is. That's what the life of the Christian is. And so all of this to say, the last five minutes of my random tangents, all of it to say this, you become free on a natural level to then surrender your freedom to the Trinitarian God who has disclosed himself in obedience of Jesus. Hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. It's not just enough to be free. That's not where we find, that's where we find natural fulfillment on a surface level, but the deepened authentic fulfillment of the Trinitarian life that we take on comes in surrendering that freedom. But we both have, both, both have to first gain that freedom before we can surrender it. Exactly. And But there's no, like the freedom of love isn't the same freedom of like license of doing whatever you want. Love implies that you 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 chain yourself to something there's an obedience of love like when i love someone i'm my my it, i don't feel like my freedom's taken away i lay my freedom down to 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 serve them to do whatever i need to do uh to communicate my love to them but in some in some ways like it makes us a slave <laughs> in some yeah, sense it makes yeah. us a servant to the one that we love right. but our freedom's fulfilled now cuz that's what we're made for and that's what kind of brings us back to the whole like we are made uh in order to be given to be given away. Yeah. We're made for love. And in this life, that always implies a, a laying down of life and a sacrificing of freedom. So, And that's what uh, the Christian life is all about. That's what it's all about. Bam. That yeah, that totally didn't didn't go as I planned though. Whatever. Well, you yeah. I gave a bad example, but no, it doesn't no, no. matter. What you wanted to do is you wanted to goat me and, and keep it on track, and I just kind of unfortunately derailed this. You can take the blame for this one. Sure. I think this is very important though. The question of freedom is huge. Um, first, demonstrating that freedom from restraint is not actual freedom; it's actually slavery. Mm-hmm. And then, secondly, showing that authentic freedom to choose the good on a natural level is is very good and essential. Grace always builds on nature. But then, lastly. Once we, we gain freedom in the Christian life in order to surrender it into the Trinitarian God, into life. Yeah. And it's interesting because in love. Cause love will love will actually be painful. Mm-hmm. And, it'll be, and we'll experience that it's really difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, but that doesn't necessarily mean our freedom is being given up. Like if someone wants to, just to use another example, if someone wants to like uh, learn how to play piano or something, you know, say I was, I was five years old when I started taking piano lessons and my piano teacher... Um, would make me do these exercises all the time. I had to practice for like an hour a day. Mm-hmm. Drove my, I drove, you know, it drove me crazy. My mom making me practice piano all the time. And I didn't feel free because I was like, I have these rules. I need to learn how to play piano. This really stinks. I felt like my freedom was taken away because I just wanted to go play video games the whole yes. time, you know. Um, but I wasn't free to play the piano because I hadn't suffered through. Uh, I, ha- I hadn't kind of given up some freedom in order to be free 
for the good and for the, the good of playing piano, you know. But as I as I kind of grew and as my, you know, fingers got more used to the positions and all that stuff, now I can just go up to a piano and play whatever. Enjoy it. Yeah. And I'm actually free to play the piano now. Uh, but it came through the, the law. It came mm-hmm. through in some sense through these rules of, you know, you have to play for this much. And uh, and we experienced, that's, that's why I brought the example of, of like you wanting to kill me. Yeah. Um, and in the Christian life, like the rules of, you know, marital love, the rules of, you know, even the Ten Commandments are all about uh, trying to point us towards being free to give ourselves away. Yeah. Point us towards being free to lay our lives There's down. nothing more beautiful than when a, a married couple gets to that point. Yeah. When they've moved beyond the Catholic teachings of contraception, whatever it is, as law, as impinging of freedom, mm-hmm. as a burden upon upon us and our marriage, and they move beyond that, and they've been they faithful through it, obedient in it, and then they see the goodness and the fruit. There's nothing more beautiful than that. Oh, it's, it's awesome! It's so cool, and that's why that's why the, we say the the most vir, the most free man is the virtuous man, because the virtuous person isn't the one who's, you know, obedi- obedient to the Catholic teaching on whatever. And it's hard and it sucks and they're suffering through. That's not the virtuous man. Because virtue isn't just about doing the good. It's about uh, having the passions and your emotions ordered so that you're. it's like easy to do the good. Yeah. Like you said, yeah. you do it freely, you do it joyfully. And, all and then things. the other thing, which we'll figure out. Maybe somebody will email us on that. Probably. Speaking of which, I probably need to do an email. Sure, because you got to roll. <laughs>